thank you, Gene, for that message and song. Uh, that was so appropriate, your message and song, because we heard a message by Dr. David Jeremiah this morning on the prodigal son. So that fit right in with the lesson in the Sunday school. So thank you very much. One thing I wanted to mention, uh, Hope Aglow, we will be having uh, Gary Sims here on the 20th of Mar or May. He represents Hope Aglow, a, a prison ministry. And we do have the white box out this morning, and it will be out the next Sunday for any contribu contribution you'd like to make to the ministry. And also over in the fellowship hall under the mailboxes is a box for good used Bibles and New Testaments, which would go to the ministry down there and it goes to prisoners. So if you remember to do that, I just like to remind you of it. <clears throat> okay, now will you take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 225, Standing on the Promises. I know you've been standing, and if you re want to remain seated, that's fine, but I'd like if the rest of us would stand up. I don't think we can sing this without standing. Standing on the Promises of Christ my King, 225. <clears throat> Standing on the promises of Christ my
you could take out your prayer ministry sheet with me and take a moment to look over some of these things together. Uh, again, what a great way to be reminded to pray for each other. Uh, this morning, downstairs in Sunday school, we had a time where we just prayed together. Just prayed together over different requests that were weighing on the hearts of, of the saints down there. And, and you know, what an awesome privilege we have to be able to pray for each other. What an awesome privilege we have to be able to pray for each other. So as you look over the sheet this week, let me encourage you to spend some time in prayer for, for these different individuals. Um, would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that we're here this morning. Father, some rolled out of bed and were ready to come to church, and some just made it in the door at the last minute, but God, we're all here, and we're here for you. Lord, we ask that you would remove distractions, remove barriers, as we're going to talk about later, Lord, that way we may just see you and what you're doing. Lord, our, our prayer ministry sheet is filled with different names of the saints who are struggling, who are wrestling, who are going through different times in their lives, some on mountaintops and some in valleys. And God, we know that you are the God of all. Lord, we ask that you would hear the cries of our hearts today. Lord, we think of those in our congregation who aren't able to be here this morning. Maybe they're, they're away or they're sick. Lord, we ask that you would watch over them and bless them. Lord, we think of, of the requests that maybe some are just holding close to their heart. Maybe they're not able to share them right now because it's too painful. But God, you already know. Lord, may you hear that cry. Father, may you grant the peace that passes all understanding that only comes from you. Lord, as we gather together today, we're here in, in your name. Lord, we ask that you would speak truth to us. May we hear, Lord, what you want us to hear. Lord, that we may hear truth from your word. Father, that you may speak to us through music. Because we know that as Gene sang, Jesus changes everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Sing your song again. 
morning to John chapter 5. Our, our text is going to be found in John chapter 5 this morning. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. Again, I'm going to have to turn around. We did get our new projector, and it's just not installed yet. So once it's installed, hopefully uh, Pastor Bob and I will have to stop turning around to make sure we're on the right slide. John chapter 5, verse 1. Now, if you're reading from the King James this morning, um, are there any King James readers this morning? You're reading from the King James, you're going to notice that there's a verse in the King James that's not in the ESV or the NIV. So we'll talk about that in a minute, just so you don't think I took something out myself, right? I wouldn't do that. So here's what the Bible says. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. At once, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, I love that verse, that man, that's Jesus, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Would you pray with me this morning before we dig into this passage? God, we're so thankful for your love for us. Lord, may it be your truth that's communicated this morning. Father, may it be your words. Lord, we ask that you would break down the barriers that we have in our life, the walls that we have up in our life, the chains that we bring with us. Lord, that you would allow us to see you and see what you're trying to tell us this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So let's set the scene here for a moment, okay? Jesus, after healing the official son in Capernaum, right, travels to Jerusalem, and there's a feast going on, right? A feast. Not the same as the chili cook-off, but that's going to be really good. 
a feast going on. When we don't know what feast it was, the Bible doesn't tell us. Some people speculate that it might have been Passover, but there's no way to know for sure. There just isn't. Um, so there's some sort of feast going on, and Jesus is there, and he comes to this place where people are gathered, a pool called Bethesda. A place where miracles had happened, where people had been healed. I mean, there were, the Bible says there were a multitude of people there. They were all there because something had happened. Now, here's, here's verse 4, which you don't find, which you find in your King James. You don't find in the ESV or the new NIV. It, it says this. I don't have it on the screen. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, it's not in the ESV, the new NIV, because um, it's not included in all of the manuscripts that we have. And so they held that verse out of the ESV and NIV. It, it does give us a little bit of context, though, as to why those people would have been there. It makes sense. They're there because healing had happened there. Because healing had happened there. And they're all gathered there together. How often, how frequent the healing happened, we don't know. And, and the crazy thing is, you know, this, this pool, it, it talks about five roofed colonnades. That was not normal. And, and some people would actually use this story to try and disprove the historical truth in the book of John. To try and take the book of John and throw it out the window. That doesn't happen. There's not five roofed colonnades. There will be four. And they would take that and say, that's not true. There's another reason that your Bible's not true. It says there's five roof colonnades. There's only usually four. That can't be true. Well, in the 1960s, a German archaeologist discovered the pool of Bethesda. And guess what? Five. Don't you love it when science and, and archaeology finally catch up to the Bible? Right? Amen. When they finally catch up to the Bible... Right? And they tell us, it can't be true. It never could have happened. That's not possible. There's no way. And all of a sudden, they discover something. Oh. And we just say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so Jesus comes into this pool area. He finds a man there. Now, the Bible says there's a multitude of people, but Jesus chose one. God does that sometimes, doesn't he? chooses to heal one and maybe not another. And we don't always know why. Maybe you're someone that's been wrestling with some sort of disease or illness for a long time. And you've been faithful and you've been praying and, and you've been asking the Lord to bring healing in your life and it hasn't happened yet. And we don't know why that happens. We don't know why Jesus chose this one person because he could have healed everybody, but he didn't. He chose one. I, I still remember being in the hospital and praying for my, my nan. Praying for my nan. I, I can even remember sitting in the ICU waiting room, sleeping there, you know, overnight, not that I could do anything to make her better, but I, it just made me feel better knowing that I was there and the nurses could come and, and give me updates. And man, did I pray. But it wasn't God's will to heal her in that moment. The first thing that stuck out to me in this passage is that Jesus chose one. 
He didn't heal the whole group. And we don't know why. We don't know why at times healing comes to one and not to another. But the Bible doesn't promise us physical healing. It doesn't promise us health on this earth. And trials and tribulations, that's going to happen. Health, we're not guaranteed that. But here's what we are guaranteed. That God's never going to leave us as you're walking through that journey. And, and nothing can separate you from God's love as you're walking through that journey. And let me tell you this this morning, if you're someone that's been wrestling through those kinds of things, if you're sitting in here today, that's because God's not done with you yet. Amen? God's not done with you yet. He hasn't been done. I had a professor in, in college, and she would say, uh, God has big plans for you. So let me just put this down a minute. If you're sitting in here, God has big plans for you today, and for you today, and for you today. Don't allow yourself to be defined by your illness, by your struggle. God has big plans for you because your identity is not in cancer. Your identity is not in being lame or paralyzed or, or anything like that. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Hold on to it. But Jesus meets this man. Back to the story. I could, that's a whole nother sermon. Um, Jesus meets this man. I, I thought we should give him a name so that we can identify him as we're going through. So let's, let's call him Tom. Actually, let, let's call him something a little more modern, a little more millennial maybe. You know, you can, you can call people whatever you want to call them today, right? The new names that are coming out seem to be like whew, way over there. And I'm not even going to say any because we have some people in this room that are expecting, right? And I, I don't want to say a name that maybe you're planning on using. So I'm going to pick something off the wall. Let's call him Clock. Let's call him Clock. Get it off the wall, Clock. It's about time somebody names their kid Clock. <laughs> Steven's just shaking his head. It's good to have you, Steven. That alarms you, doesn't it? That alarms you. <laughs> Steven's not sure whether to laugh or cry. Let's call him Tom. Tom had been in his current situation for 38 years. 38 years. I think it's, it's difficult for some of us to imagine that. 38 years. So what I decided to do is to rewind time a little bit and go back to the year 1980 to give us an idea of what was going on in 1980. Now, I had to go on Wikipedia because I wasn't born in 1980, right? Wikipedia was around in 1980, right? Just kidding. In 1980, the U.S. hockey team defeated the Soviet Union for the miracle on ice. Some of you were probably watching that. Yep, yep. Some of us have only seen highlights on YouTube. Ronald Reagan defeated Jimmy Carter to be elected president of the United States of America. Some of you probably remember that. And probably the most important thing that happened in 1980, the arcade game Pac-Man was released. Pac-Man was released. So Jesus asked Tom, again, we don't have his name. This is just so we can identify him. The Bible doesn't give him a name. He asked Tom, Tom, do you want to be healed? And here's what he says. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, 
another steps down before me. See, he tells Jesus about all the reasons that he can't be healed. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, well, I can't be healed because I can't get into the pool. And when I try, someone else steps in front of me. See, he was so focused on what he thought would bring healing, he didn't even realize he was talking to the healer. He was so focused on eventually being able to walk again or whatever he was struggling with that he didn't even realize he was speaking to Jesus. He thought that what he needed was the pool. What he actually needed was Jesus. He thought that what he needed was over there. What he actually needed was right here. But, I mean, how many times does that happen to us? Right? How many times does that happen to you and me? Maybe you're going through financial difficulties. And, man, you just... You just start praying, Lord, I, I, need, I need a higher-paying job. I need to win the lottery. I need to be behind that Brinks truck that opened its doors the other day and all the 20s were flying out. Did you guys hear about that? Right? I don't know what you do when that happens. You just put your hands out the window. or uh, Hopefully everybody returned the money. I doubt it. But you think of all these things that you think would bring a solution to your problem when, when the solution to our problems is Jesus. We try, we try and, and solve our problem. Okay, I, I need more money, so I need to get a higher paying job, or I need this to happen, or I need this, instead of trusting that God is going to provide it because our God is in control of all money. Maybe you're going through a valley in your life, maybe depression, anxiety, other things that you're wrestling with, and you're able to put on a face, a Sunday morning face, and so people aren't really able to see what's going on. Man, we're good at that, aren't we? Sunday mornings. It's crazy, because I think sometimes you can come into church, and you can leave and think that everybody in church is doing really well, when actually there are people going through more things than what we can even imagine. But maybe you're going through one of those valleys right now in your life and, and you're so f focused on your outcome. And may, may, Lord, if you can just allow me to get through this depression, allow me to get through this anxiety, I just want to feel good again. And you're focused on your outcome. You need to be focused on Jesus. Let me tell you this. You need to be focused on Jesus. We, oftentimes we get so focused on the outcome, on the healing, that we forget about the healer. What's that song? Give me the, the healer more than the healing. Man, life is tough. But it's even more tough when we focus on our circumstances and take our eyes off of the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says in, in Hebrews Skip that one. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The question I think that we need to ask ourselves, and this is why I mentioned barriers, there is no physical barrier that's up between this man and Jesus, right? Jesus is, the, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I'm not saying that God's changing or moving, but in our times in our lives, when we put up barriers between us and God, what do I mean? I mean that we're focused on something other than on Jesus. This guy was focused on his circumstances. And I, I was actually, as I was studying this, I was thinking, man, this guy, this guy's a complainer. But he's been this way for 38 years. Man, I complain sometimes after a week. 38 years. What are you focused on in your life? On the eventual, what you think will, will bring you peace and joy? Or are you focused on Jesus, trusting that what God has for you is what God has for you? Because God has big plans for you. They might not match your plans, but they're God's plans. And we have to trust that. And it's not always easy to do. See, God doesn't move, but we take our focus. Somebody once illustrated it kind of like this. You're talking, let's say I'm talking to Tommy over here, and Tommy and I are having a conversation, right, about how much Tommy loves the Redskins. Right, Tommy? <laughs> right, and we're having a conversation, and all of a sudden this adorable little puppy comes over here. And I'm talking to Tommy, and Tommy's telling me all about how he's a huge Redskins fan. And, and, and the puppy's over here. And I'm, I'm listening to you, Tommy. I'm listening to you, Tommy. I'm listening. I'm distracted by this puppy. Tommy never moved. God doesn't move. God doesn't change. We move. We change. Our focus changes. Our vision, our perspective change. We lose it. So what are you focused on? The outcome of what you think will bring peace and healing? Or are you focused on Jesus? Because peace and healing come from Jesus, not from anything else. And let me just throw this out there as well. Every once in a while you hear someone say that, man, you can be healed if you just have enough faith. That's not true. So those of you this morning, what, what a weight to carry if you believe that. Let me just tell you that's not biblical at all. That's not biblical at all. As a matter of fact, the man in John chapter 5, we have no evidence that this man actually had faith. Jesus doesn't tell him, believe and stand up and walk. He doesn't have any of that conversation. This man says, I can't be healed. And then Jesus says, you're healed, walk, and he leaves. Don't believe that lie that you have to have a certain amount of faith and then you're going to be healed because what a weight to carry. If the Lord wants to bring healing into your life, he's going to do it. And if not, if he has another plan for you, then so be it. And that's not an easy prayer to say sometimes. It's even harder when you are on the end of being sick or struggling. But we have to hold on to the promises that God's never going to leave us, that his love for you is more than you'll ever understand, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So the first barrier was this man's circumstances. Verse 9 through 17. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man. Oh, that, that just gives me chills every time. That man, that man, that man's our Savior, right? That man. He said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. 
as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. We're introduced to these different characters here in the story, right? The Jews. The Bible calls them the Jews. A group of people that see this man take up his mat and walk. But it's like they didn't even realize he was healed. There was a barrier there. They couldn't even see that this man was healed. They weren't even focused on that. It's, you have your mat? Are you joking? Not, oh my goodness, Tom, you're walking. What happened? What happened? Did you get in the pool? How did this work? No. Why did you pick up your mat today? Verse 9, now that day was the Sabbath. You know, the Bible says every word that's in the Bible is intentional. Everything that Jesus did was intentional. Why do you think it was the Sabbath? Did you ever wonder why Jesus chose to do miracles on the Sabbath? Did that ever? Because do you know how many miracles are actually recorded, we know of on the Sabbath? Seven. Isn't that cool? Seven miracles on the Sabbath. Um, But why the Sabbath? Of all days, Jesus, why the Sabbath? Now, I know this morning there are some in here that have different convictions. Maybe there are some that are take the Sabbath day, and it is a day for you and the Lord only. Maybe there's some of you that don't believe in that same, don't hold to that same um, set of rules. And I, I'm not here to argue anybody's convictions this morning. I'm not getting into that conversation. Um, but, but I do think that it's important we ask ourselves that question. Why did Jesus heal this man on the Sabbath? He could have done it any other day. Jesus could have came on Friday. The Sabbath is Saturday, right? Saturday. It's not Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. He could have came on Friday. Jesus could have went on Sunday. Why Saturday? Was it, was it an accident? No. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. There are no accidents. Hmm. It's an interesting question. And I think it's one that we have to ask ourselves. Could it be that maybe Jesus wanted to show these men their legalism barrier? Maybe. I had asked somebody else that question. They said, well, because that person had to be healed on the Sabbath. (laughs) He had to be healed. Jesus didn't turn anyone away. I said, well, in this circumstance, so Jesus intentionally went to the pool. Remember the beginning? He chose one. He chose one out of a multitude on the Sabbath. It's a good question for you to think about while you're eating lunch at Denny's Lenny's. But, you know, these, these guys, the Jews, they couldn't see what Jesus was doing. They missed it. They missed it. All because they were focused on their legalistic principles. They couldn't even extend mercy and grace to this man who had just been healed. Tom was walking for the first time in 38 years. Or whatever ailment he was going through. 38 years. 
The last time he had done that was when Reagan won the presidency. That's a long time. That's a long time. But these people, they couldn't even see that because they were all they were focused on was that he had picked up his mat on the Sabbath. And it actually, it's interesting because it goes on to the point where these guys get so angry that they want to kill Jesus because he calls God his father, his own father, and he performed miracles on the Sabbath. Jesus never broke any Sabbath laws, but they couldn't see past it. Do we allow legalism to have a part in our lives? I think at times we're all a little bit legalistic. We're all a little bit legalistic. It's funny because usually people that are really legalistic don't even think they're legalistic. Right? These, these men, the Jews, there is no way, I, I don't believe, that they were saying, all right, this is really bad what we're about to do. <laughs> we're we're going to do something that's totally wrong and tell Jesus that we want to kill him. No. They thought they were right. They thought that what they were doing was correct that they were upholding what they should be upholding, but they totally missed what God was trying to do. There was a barrier there. They were focused on their legalism, and they couldn't focus on Jesus. You know, I read a 30-question questionnaire on legalism. It was basically, answer these questions, and if you get them all a certain way, you're legalistic. Um, let, me, let me throw out a couple for you to ask yourself. Do you believe that God is more honored by your dress than that of someone else because you're dressed a certain way? Now, oftentimes, people will say legalism is based upon somebody wearing a suit. It can be the other way, too. Somebody that maybe doesn't dress up and feels as if people that dress up are just putting on a show. That's legalism. Or someone that dresses up and feels that those who don't dress up are wrong and that they sh they're not bringing glory to God by the way they dress, that's, that's legalism. Do we allow it to have a part in our lives? What about music? Music and dress seem to be two of the big ones in churches today, don't they? Um, what about music? Again, it goes both ways. Do you think that your style of music is more honoring to God than somebody else's? That's legalism, and that's wrong. It doesn't matter if you prefer hymns or prefer contemporary music. If you think, if you're contemporary and, and you prefer, and you think that the hymns are, aren't, they're, they're slow or whatever reason you have, and you think that the contemporary music is, is more honoring to God, that's legalism. If you prefer the hymns and, and you think that the contemporary music is, is wrong and that the hymns are better, that's legalism. Do you allow legalism to have a part in your life? And let me tell you this. If you do, that's a dangerous, 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 dangerous place to be. Because that's a barrier that can keep you from seeing what God is doing. Are there any barriers in your life right now? Sometimes they're hard to see because we, we don't view them as barriers. We view them as uh, hiccups or maybe a little struggle or an issue. 
And we get so focused on the outcome that we don't even realize that we're looking at a barrier and that we're not looking at Jesus. See, the enemy wants you to keep building that barrier. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. He, he wants that barrier to continue to build so that all you're focused on is that, and you don't focus on Jesus. The Bible says the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He doesn't want you to look at Jesus. He wants you to look at your barrier. And he wants you to focus on it. Because, man, we are so good at focusing on our barriers, aren't we? Jesus, I can't get into the pool, the sick man said, because people get in front of me every time I try and go. What are you focused on today? The reality of it is that there are some, and I hope you hear me if this is you, there are some of the saints who don't want God to do a work in their heart because they think they have it all figured out. That's a barrier. If that's you, my heart breaks for you because you obviously don't have it all figured out. So the question is, is how do we realize if there are barriers in our life? How do we recognize them? How do we make sure that we are looking at Jesus and not being trapped by these barriers? Because sometimes they're very difficult to see. Again, I don't think the Jews thought they were doing anything wrong. I think they thought what they were doing was right. They didn't even notice. Well, I think the Bible in Psalms 139 gives us a good explanation. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Can that be our prayer today? Can, can we pray that today? God, I want you to search the deepest parts of my heart, the deepest parts of my soul, and find in there what does not bring glory to you because I don't want it there anymore. That has no place in my life anymore. God, find that and cast it out. God, find that and don't allow it to be there anymore. I don't want it there. Get rid of that barrier. That's a difficult prayer to pray because it means that things are going to get a little uncomfortable. Can we pray that together? As a church body, as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, who some prefer contemporary music and some prefer traditional. Some read the King James and some read the English Standard Version. Some come in suits and ties and some come in shorts and a polo. Can we join together and pray that prayer? Lord, may you search our hearts. Find what's grievous in me, not my neighbor. Find it in me. My neighbor's responsible between him and you or her and you. I'm responsible for me. Lord, search my heart and show me if there's anything in my heart that's grievous to you. Let's pray that today. And ask the Lord to show us what's going on. 
Because sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't see it. And let's ask the Lord to knock down those barriers. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful to be here. God, you're a good God, and life, life is not always easy. And there are so many times, Lord, when barriers come up, and we don't even realize it. Lord, our attentions can be, can be good, can be noble, but sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing, Lord, and it, and it causes us to, to misunderstand what's going on, to not see what you're doing. Lord, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus not on our circumstances. Lord, within this congregation, we have different preferences, different perspectives, but we all have one Savior, one Redeemer, one that we worship and whom salvation comes from. May that be our unity today. Lord, that despite preferences, despite style of dress, that we may view ourselves as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ because of what was done on the cross. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in the closing hymn this morning. you take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 317, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. I'll ask you to stand with me as we sing closing hymn. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, Lord of His Spirit, washing His this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of This is my story, this is my song.
Father, this is our hope and our, our intention that we would praise your day all the day long. Many times we struggle to do this because we are of a sinful nature. Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have of gathering here once more to study your word and listen to your word being preached. We pray, Lord, as we scatter now into the world that we might be witnesses to your word. We might be faithful in being a testimony. And we pray, Lord, that your will would be done in our lives. Thank you again for the many blessings you provide us with. And we be careful to give you the praise and the glory. For it's in your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you and you are dismissed.